Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pod and Point podcast. My name is Vladimir Bosanek, and I am here with my co-host, Mike McPhee. Mike, say hi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. This is a podcast where we're going to talk about sports, business, the business of sport, and everything in between. We're going to hit on football, hockey, baseball, basketball, might even go a little international with some rugby. We'll address news, we'll talk about what is interesting, and we'll put our spin and analysis on it. Yeah, we're going to interview some interesting people as well as we go along, and I uh, want to make sure that also this is fun and informative for uh, everybody. Um, but a little bit about us, we're uh, two uh, great friends, we're both dads, both uh, work for interesting companies, uh, have a little bit of a uh, Silicon Valley background in our in our past work, um, and most importantly, uh, both played sports, and uh, so our stories are going to focus on uh, both of those sort of subjects. That's right, Vlad. We're also bringing this to you from Mobile Studios. Vlad is in Seattle, the Jet City, and I'm in the Mile High City, also known as Denver, Colorado. But we have a global sports perspective, and we're going to talk about all sports, everything that we see that is interesting. And we hope you'll join us in our sports travels each and every week. All right, Vlad, let's get this started. All right, let's go. So, Mike, episode two, Mm -hmm. two of us, just the two of us. Are there any other... (laughs) pop culture references we can make with the number two. <laughs> you're dating us now. You're, you're putting us in an era. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop here. So, uh, Mike, just want to give you a quick shout out before we, we get going. Um, you called a J-Lo A-Rod, A-Rod story uh, last week that we talked about and um, uh, their purchase of the Mets. And it looks like they, they pulled out of that, um, that possible acquisition. Interesting, isn't it? We were on point, and um, and now they're they're no longer part of that. Looks like it's going to go to that original guy. But I got a second one back to our our speed round from last week. The Big Ten votes were made public. Oh. Recall the the parents were looking for some transparency. They wanted to say which schools voted which way. Turns out it was an eleven to three vote. Eleven no's and three play ons. The play ons coming from Ohio State, Iowa, and Nebraska. So interesting oh. how that just one is, is, is continuing to un- unfold. Interesting. Has there been any more uh, pushback from the parents and uh, on these schools about what to do? Not not that I've seen. Not that I've seen. But the players are trying to do something around a November kickoff and maybe do some things in domes. Um, there's a couple domes across the Big Ten footprint. Haven't seen anything where Pac-12 is kicking around ideas to bring it forward into 2020. So it, it it's it's evolving daily isn't it yeah and i hope if they do decide to go with something that they do form some kind of a bubble although i don't know how they're going to do that you know cross schools but it seems the ones that have been successful at both keeping athletes healthy and kind of making making a good go have been the ones that have um you know made these bubbles happen so i hope that that's something that that they're contemplating not just for the playoffs but actually for the for the for their sort of regular part of the season. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. That's that's for complicated. sure. Complicated. Definitely complicated. Yeah, not not easy. All right, we got a couple we got a busy speed round. So, let's jump into this guy here, Vlad. We've got a new bubble, a mobile bubble for the Tour de France. They just kicked off, started on August 29th. There's 22 stages in that epic race. There's 20 no, 22 stages, 21 teams, 8 riders per team. 
And they've been a traveling caravan for years, though. They've kind of had a traveling bubble, if you will. And they've had a conscious effort on keeping viruses out of that bubble because it's just how they compete. They compete in that peloton, and if one guy's getting sick, it could spread across the whole group and wipe them out. So they've been doing this bubble thing for a while. But with this pandemic, there have been a couple new costs and a couple new ways that they're doing this bubble. So one of the costs is they've reduced the team numbers, team members allowed. They typically had about 70 people around the whole team, lots of support staff. Yeah, That's physios, that's chefs, that's an analysts, that's all these things. Yeah. That's reduced down to 30. So certainly you're going to have to operate with a lot more efficiency across the group. Secondarily, they've put in that if you have a second rider on a team, one rider your team can stay in potentially, but you have a second rider that that gets uh, tested and test positive, they're going to boot your whole team. Wow. So uh, that version is one to watch. They're in the middle of their first week. So okay. we'll see how that evolves. Okay. Yeah, that, that yeah. will be interesting. That will be interesting. I mean, that sport has been played with so many other challenges. You know, it's like the last thing they needed was a global pandemic to hurt it even you know further right but um uh yeah but hopefully hopefully they you know get it right and again back back to the bubbles it seems like you know this is certainly for the immediate future going to be kind of part of uh part of every sport for sure absolutely next one i've got for you is we're going to talk about bitcraft ventures and esports so what's bitcraft they're a venture capital fund vlad they're focused on esports gaming and interactive media and they just raised 165 million dollars for their fund some interesting sports folks have put money into that so a minority owner for the warriors and the shoe and apparel company adidas has put in some money but why is this interesting to us well the gaming industry has certainly benefited from the pandemic as we as we know the moving things here people are stuck at home this gives them the chance to connect with others and Nuzu, a market researcher, estimates that 2020 industry revenues will reach $160 billion. Wow. And $200 billion by 2023. Yeah, this wow. This is incredible money in this particular industry. And there's, there's about 30 game-focused venture capital funds out there. So they're just one of 30. But it's interesting, the money's flowing to this space, and, and will that 30 go to 40 or 50 in this next couple of years as the money flows? Yeah, the interesting that's, growth numbers are right. That's super interesting. Holy cow! Um, I didn't realize there were there were that many. Um, this is, I mean, esports will be something to watch for sure, and I'm sure we'll be touching upon this topic, you know, in you know in the you know future shows. I mean, we just have to one. It's basically an instantly kind of global, you know, play field for these guys. But but number number two, um, I've already read stories. I think Steph Curry has a team. Uh, I believe Meg Whitman has invested in a team also, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think a couple, m- more than a couple, probably European sporting clubs like, you know, Barcelona and mm-hmm. Bayern, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. have esports teams also. I'm sure there will be others. Um, you know, in Europe, right. as I was telling you, Mike, um, you know, sports is done a little differently than than here in the U.S. Sort of the, the club sort of like Barcelona has several sports associated with it. Mm-hmm. So there's a Barcelona right. basketball club, there's a Barcelona handball club, you know, volleyball and so forth, right? Men's and, so, and women's too, right? And, and yes, women's. Men, men's and women's. So I can, you know, it makes perfect sense. Like, hey, let's just tack on another sport, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this is this is the early days of, uh, of this space. And I think it's only going to get more bigger and more robust. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to kind of keep kind of following this as we as we go along. Yeah, you know, when we've talked college sports in just our recent episode, you know, 
scholarships are are, are another yes. angle here. Uh-huh. I think there's some universities that are offering scholarships to an esports athlete. So yes. uh, maybe uh, maybe a chance for us to dig even deeper into esports in a in a coming episode. For sure. For sure. So our next speed round story is a fantasy sports story. So there's a movement afoot to potentially reclassify fantasy sports as sports gambling. You guys know some of the big players here. Yahoo's name's been on fantasy sports for 10, 15, 20 years. And you know the more notable ones, DraftKings, FanDuel, the guys that are advertising over all the NBA and hockey games right now. They're all currently classified as running fantasy sports businesses. But with the 2018 Supreme Court ruling that gambling is allowed now across this country and the 19 states are working to govern interstate gambling you know, rooted in their particular state, this thing's going to get interesting because if fantasy sports get shifted into the gambling, sports gambling space, it will fundamentally change their economics. It fundamentally shifts the balance sheets for these big companies. The taxing bodies are going to get their hooks not only into the players' winnings uh, from an individual tax perspective, but they're going to get their hooks into the corporate taxes with a different rate, and it's a much deeper tax than what they're paying in fantasy sports. So, Vlad, um, this one's going to be shifting, I think, and and maybe the momentum's already there that it's going to move into a gambling space. It's one to watch. Yeah, the interesting one here, Mike, <clears throat> as with everything else, is you know who stands to benefit from kind of this thing going one way or another. I would imagine the casinos benefit if this goes towards the gambling side, right? And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we learned that you know there's a lot of lobbying efforts to kind of make that happen. Um, but then at the same time, there was you know news from this morning even, right? That I think it was uh, uh, DraftKings or FanDuel, I think DraftKings mm-hmm. uh, brought in Michael Jordan as, a, yeah. as an advisor to the company. And it looks like uh, Disney already is an equity partner. Um, mm. And so I think, you know, brand names like that probably will want to keep it outside of the gambling area. Um, so I think you're right. I think this will be an interesting one to watch. Um, and, you know, curiously enough, I was sort of wondering over the last week or so, kind of like what is happening with fantasy sports in general, given that, you know, there's no sports or there's very little, <laughs> there's very little sports, right? Yes. Um, yes. And so, yeah, this will be something that we'll probably come back to visit and kind of spend a little bit more more time on. So yeah, let's do it. Yeah, well, I've got I've got um, sort of a you know one bucket of items, and it's gonna you know end this little segment on a on a somber note. But uh, uh, in the last week, Mike, we lost uh, uh, three notable uh, basketball sort of affiliated people, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Lou Olson, head coach of uh, Arizona, who's really sort of uh, put his mark on on uh, that you know program, who was probably you know synonymous with that program in the you know eighties and nineties and 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 even further, um, passed away at eighty five. Uh, then uh, just a couple of days later, uh, a former Portland Blazer, uh, Clifford Robinson, passed away. Uh, he was a former UConn uh, UConn player. And uh, played in the Big East, which, as you know, you you know, is close to close to my heart as a, as a mm-hmm. former Big East uh, player, also. And then, um, you know, last but not least, um, you know, shout out to the passing of my former coach, uh, John Thompson, from you know Georgetown. Uh, mm-hmm. That's probably you know out of out of the three has maybe made kind of you know you know you know biggest news in the last week. 
Um, he was 78. Uh, I was very fortunate to, you know, play with him uh, for for him rather uh, in the early 90s, and I, uh, you know, posted sort of you know personal note about about that on um, Facebook. What I what I wanted to just if you you know if I can take a you know moment here, Mike, just to sort of put a couple of words together. Um, what what and and this is probably more related to our podcast and sort of how we cover sports. Uh, but one mm-hmm. of the stories that I think is untold about you know Thompson is, you know he was one of the one of the founding fathers, if you will, of the Big East uh, Conference. I think he was one of the you know five original schools that you know formed formed the conference. Uh, the conference was formed in 1979, and Mike, oh, wow. if 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 people sort of have you know forgotten. ESPN was formed in 1979. Oh, wow. And, you know, Same most, year. yeah, well, and most people forget that um, ESPN really started by kind of making its way through college sports. Uh, back in the day, they didn't have enough money to pay for any of the rights for any of the, you know, professional <laughs> games like football mm-hmm. and basketball and baseball and so forth. So yeah. they actually uh, made a partnership with with the NCAA very early on, and it's sort of crazy to think about it now how big NCAA sports has become. But in the '80s, it was very nascent; it was really nowhere. Wow. Uh, you know, maybe some you know national kind of championship games were were watched on national TV, but but other than that, almost mm-hmm. almost nothing. And ESPN and kind of Big East, if you will, made each other during during the '80s. You know, during yeah. during those. Uh, you know, storied uh, rivalries between Georgetown and Syracuse, and you know Duke and North Carolina and Louisville and Kentucky. Right? Those yeah. were those were some of the games that that you know really kind of established what ESPN is. You know today. So you know, shout out to to that um, aspect of of uh, his ability to you know innovate. Um, not not something that is that is often you know talked about, but I but I think it's a it's a very important story also. Yeah, you know, um, I think there's another angle here as we and we fold in our business sports is that, you know, in the business world, sometimes you read about companies where people leave and go have very interesting next stops along the way. You know, way back in the day, Procter & Gamble was sending out lots of managers that were then going to be in big leadership roles. And now Silicon Valley's kind of watched for that. Who's left Amazon to do something? Who's done? Who's left Apple to do something? Or Google, right? Or Google, right? But so that in, in, in this, there's there's the coaching tree, which is synonymous with that. And, and I know Lute Olson, um, Steve Kerr played for yep for uh, for Lute and, and, and certainly would have to be at, at one of the top spots in his coaching tree. Um, I'm not fully versed on it, but 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 Vlad, John Thompson, he certainly had to have guys that that are in the coaching tree. And, and Patrick, Patrick Ewing's coaching, you know, your alma mater now, that would be a, a prominent person. Are there others? That that have been under John Thompson and 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 kind of have notable coaching roles. There there have been a couple, you know, no one at the level of uh, kind of you know D one top sort of uh, top sort of program. Um, certainly, okay. you know, when when I was there in the nineties, all of the coaching staff were his former players. Uh, okay. When Thompson left, you know, Craig Escherich kind of took o- took over the program for 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 a few years. So you know, he was there. Um, with a team that was at that time, you know, top 25 teams still, right? Um, right. Then actually John Thompson's son took over the, over the program and, and was was there for over a decade. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, Family you know. and coaching tree. He, he <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's done, he's done, um, he's done a lot for a lot of different, different folks. I, 
I think, you know, on the on the coaching side, you know, probably not as much as, you know, some some others, right? Uh, but he certainly transformed the lives of, you know, many, many, many people and, um, you know, really, uh, you know, put the sort of, you know, the big East, right, on, on, on the map, I think more than, more than anything. You know, I, I watched an interview that, that, that he gave uh, a long, long time ago, like in the, in the, you know, you know, seventies or late, late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Northeast, like back in the sort of seventies was not really known for its basketball. It was really all in the Midwest, like Kentucky and Indiana and Kansas. Like those were, those are the power schools. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, like, you know, you know, New York and DC and Maryland were not really (laughs) known for, for their basketball prowess. And and it was really kind of after, after Big East was, was formed that, that, um, you know, that, that made an impact. Uh, just a couple of anecdotes, my freshman year. So this is 1990, 91 year, um, Mm -hmm. There were nine teams in the Big East uh, that year. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, spring of 91. Seven made it into the NCAA tournament. Whoa. Uh, you know, uh, I believe in the 2000s, so a few years later, when, when the league ex- expanded to, you know, 16 teams, uh, there was one year when where 11 made it in, into the NCAA tur- tur- tournament. And that still remains kind of the record sort of for, for you know, number of teams coming from right. from one conference right but right. um but anyway yeah big big impact both on you know social justice um uh, you know sp- uh, you know sports in general and we'll talk about mm-hmm. you know the business of sports forever <laughs> here uh we can go on about this you know for for a long time but i do want to you know s- you know give a shout out and um for sure you know say you know rest in peace coach you uh you'll be missed yeah all right, Mike. So now let's uh, switch over to our uh, top five, or in this week, it's actually top four. Um, we actually felt like um, there's going to be quite a bit of content, so we we kind of wanted to f- uh, focus on on four specific items um, for for this week. Um, one uh, that comes to that comes to us from Ash- from actually Washington Post uh, from an article that uh, they wrote, which was which was very interesting. Um, the premise of the article is that uh, media is actually hoping college football does not happen this fall. And I'll kind of go a little bit into into that. Um, so the premise of that hypothesis is really uh, that the um, the if if the play doesn't happen, the media companies don't have to pay. <laughs> the next few years, a challenge for them because uh, it sounds like ad rates have been trending down, which means the revenues for, for their um, broadcasts of these uh, games have been have been decreasing. Viewership has also not been kind of where some of the pro games have, have been. Uh, just from, you know, a couple of anecdotes that, that this article referenced. So, um, you know, NFL in... Um, you know, last year had 15 games that were over 20 million viewers. Uh, the NCAA football, uh, to contrast that, had only nine that were over 7 million viewers. Compare that to okay. 13 of, of, of games over 7 million viewers just five years ago. So viewership is down oh, wow. um, somehow, and that could be a, you know, a, you know, a, a, you know, a factor of a number of different things. Mm-hmm. Um but what that means is, uh, at the same time, the dollars that these networks were paying for the rights of these games have also been going up. So you've got to have kind of, kind of a, you know, you know, you know, one line trending down, one line trading up. 
and it's really affecting the margins of the uh, mm. networks. And one person basically said, look, it's a simple equation. If profit margin mm. is 20% and the ad market is down by 20%, uh, you know, you're starting to lose the money. And so the hypothesis here is that the networks might actually prefer uh, for the games to not happen this, uh, this, this, this fall. Mike, thoughts? Wow. Yeah, you know, maybe this is, uh, don't want to nerd out on you here, but is this a little bit of a skew pro- proliferation where there's just so many college football games that, that so, so you, the money's flowing to the network, excuse me, to the to the leagues, but the networks are paying those out. And there's, if you're the stakeholder being the league, you're getting more money at, at the league level because you've got, you know, six, eight of your teams on on a given Saturday. And probably a decade ago, you might have had your top four teams on, right? So you've got more eyeballs in total for your games, but any one game is not driving a particular great number. And then the, the 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 business for the network is kind of getting upside down. So um, I I don't see this I, I don't see this um, really changing because there's so many games and and uh, I don't see this changing without just a seismic shift. And maybe we're in the middle of that with the leagues all, all stopping for this fall or, or a portion of the league stopping for this fall. Yeah, I think I think it's an economic issue where uh, there is really no scarcity of football anymore, <laughs> right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, I mean, I you know, last year you could turn your TV on at any point in time, and there'll be you know some some kind of a game being played. Tuesday right? nights, Mac the Mac plays on Tuesday nights. Yeah. Little known college football night of Tuesdays. Right, so it's incredible where how much there is. It is, and and I think I think that is impacting what is what is being driven here. Uh, you know, one other interesting thing that I was not aware about, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I I guess there's a, there's a 60 year old law on the books uh, called Sports Broadcasting Act, which does not allow uh, pro games to be shown on Saturday during the college football season. Okay. I didn't know that that existed. And it could be one of these where, you know, a lot of these networks obviously show both college and, you know, professional sports. If they're making more money on the professional sports, guess what? Maybe they want to show them on Saturdays too. So the hypothesis of this article was also that, you know, Comcast, for example, which is a lot of lobbyists in Washington, might be looking to kind of get that rule um, erased and, uh, you know, put a little bit more flexibility on, on the books. Which then goes back to our story from you know last week and this week also about all these college conferences really wanting to play because they might be realizing, hey man, if we lose this rule that's kind of this you know monopolistic rule that that sort of gives us Saturday, what what does that mean for us just going forward? How can we compete with with the NFL going forward? Maybe they can't, right? Oh. So another interesting kind of power power play here that I think is going to shake itself out over the next few months. Well, that, that's really compelling. That that Saturday night primetime spot, you, the the NFL I'm sure would love to have that spot, and because um, they they get it, I think in December. I think when the regular season ends for college football, we see Saturday night football. We see the late Saturday afternoon, and then their playoffs are that way in in January. But if they were to grab that in October, they'd love it. Yeah, but think think about it this way. I mean, you know, we're I'm I'm on the West Coast. You used to be on the West Coast, right? I mean, you're you're kind of West, right? Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, really, games games really. start at noon here, and it goes until midnight, right? It just doesn't stop, right? You kind of the East Coast games start at noon. 
um, or or you know middayish, right, or even morning of you Incredible. know West Coast time, and then you just kind of go all the way through, you know, the West Coast games, which might be starting at you know six seven p.m. here, right? Um, so it's uh, it'll be very compelling all of a sudden to you know have a day, an extra day for for them to show a higher margin product and. You know, you know. At the end of the day, Mike, you and I know this is a business, right? So they they're trying to figure out how to. And actually, NFL does provide scarcity, right? There's a there's a there's a limited amount of games, limited amount of teams, yes. um, and so teams. It, and yes. so maybe that's why the margins are also higher too. So that's right. Sixteen games per weekend, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so that'll be interesting to watch um, and see how it all shake shakes out because it really mm-hmm. could transform. You know what what happens to college football in the in the fall going going forward? Another 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 pandemic shapeshifter here, right? You bet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm gonna switch over to another kind of college college related item here. This is not new news. This news was broken probably a you know a couple of months ago. You know, in the sort of height of the pandemic but Stanford you know cut uh, 11 sports uh, off of its um, off of its you know academic program this is notable in in a number of different ways number one Stanford if I'm not mistaken is probably the winningest uh, Olympic University of, of all in the US if I'm not mistaken um, based on my research, they've won uh, nearly 300 Olympic medals. Um, in the 2016 wow. games alone, uh, they won 26 medals. 14 of them were, you know, gold. Th- that would probably be, that would probably place, as, if a country, that'd probably be like top 10, if that was the country. Probably, <laughs> right, exactly, right? exactly, wow. right? And, and then for, for them, just run that out, then what's their national anthem? Like that Stanford band would get a chance to play their, their little goofy songs or whatever they're doing? <laughs> Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure anybody anybody would have. The Stanford band is a different Stanford, different thing. Stanford band, <laughs> for yeah, those of you, for sorry, those of you who don't know, yeah, they're 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 a different thing. But the point is, they cut some some sports where they've had Olympic success, and yes. you know, one of them, which is kind of cl- close to my heart because my daughter plays volleyball, but men's volleyball was 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 actually cut. Um, interestingly, men's volleyball—they've actually won two championships, NCAA champ- championships in the last decade. They've had uh, ten Olympians uh, over over the years. Actually, two alumni on the national team right now, and potentially two more for the Tokyo Games next next summer. And you know, the statement's been around: Hey, we're gonna—you know—we just don't have the money. Uh, it's gonna—it's gonna—you know—this is not financially feasible anymore. So, Mike, here's a university that has the biggest and endowment probably maybe second biggest endowment of of all of all the universities saying right. they don't have money right. what's what's your thoughts on this first thought it, it it's not a good look um when you're this flush with with that endowment yeah you know, certainly that's earmarked for other things but endowments have boards and, and boards could could revisit this i think in this couple year period that we're on this leading edge of but but secondarily they, they've got a they've got an identity of 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 athletes going for these particular sports. So there's men's volleyball. I think there's, I don't know the list is sailing and some others that they've got an identity for, for attracting these athletes. And and I think that's going to get trimmed, that identity be trimmed. And, but those athletes are going to find maybe another school to go to, or maybe they're going to branch out and, and go the club route. And so, you know, they, they, they stay along the West coast. Maybe they don't attend Stanford, but they still do their sport at the club level and continue to go up the pipeline to the Olympics. And they're going to have to, 
find their training dollars from somewhere else, right? Because that's one of the other parts is that effectively Stanford is training these athletes and building them up and they can make the Olympic teams, you know, a couple years out or even while they're students. Yeah. What's, you know, this, this was a little puzzling to me, I have to say, and I'm, I'm, I, you know, I have to be a little bit of a cynic here. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out, you know, a couple of years from now that they hired, you know, McKinsey and McKinsey kind of gave him, gave him an analysis of which sports, you know, they yeah. should keep and which ones they have to keep, like, you know, you know, women's sports because of Title IX and things like, like that to offset them, you know, the men's scholarships. Um, you know, this is what I mentioned earlier. College sports has become such a big business. They obviously have money. I don't think, quite honestly, this is this is about anything other than profits, to be honest with you. That's what it sounds mm -hmm. like. I don't think they're gonna say that out loud, but one of the things that leads me to believe that is that the athletes actually uh, you know, try to fundraise for, uh, for these teams and the school wouldn't let them do it. Uh, they basically said, no, 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 we're, we're wow. done. Like these club, these sports are done. We're, we're not going to have them anymore, which is contrary to what some other schools have done uh, I believe there's a track and field team at, at another school and there's a crew team and, and they've so, sort of successfully raised money to make the sport still accessible. In, in this case, they're basically wow. saying, no, we're like, we're done with men's value. You know, even if you guys, like you guys cannot raise money, cannot have Stanford on your shirts, right? Like you can have your own club, but, but it's not going to be feel right. Yeah. So I, I think they used COVID for for a purpose of you know to really call cover, the program and focus mm. on the sort of money generating sports that that they you know need to keep. What do you think? Thoughts on that? You know, we're we're probably haven't seen the last of of this type of analysis, and, and that, that potentially go with your your thought of maybe there was some McKinsey analysts that came in and said we're going to look at this thing top to bottom, make a recommendation on how you can optimize your spend in your athletic department. We're, I think we're going to see versions of that, especially if this continues and, and the money's continue to be trimmed. And, and maybe that's not a bad thing overall. Maybe opportunities will arise out of that. But, but then when things are getting pinched, you know, Vlad, I think this is a chance for, for someone to be, to be innovative here or for someone to fill that void. Maybe there's another university that wants to take advantage of, of an opportunity here. Maybe they're along the West Coast that says, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll sponsor those athletes and we'll we'll let them come our way. You can maybe fundraise or something like that. I'm just I'm trying to see like who could take advantage of like this, this opening in the market, if you will. I love that thinking, Mike. And, and I think, yes, this is certainly a time to innovate. I think given sort of the, you know, growing strenuousness between college athletes and the NCAA in general, maybe this is an opportunity for some of these sports to form a separate association, right? Where they still go to school, but they are also part of an association that allows them to actually, you know, yeah. make money and you know profit and fundraise yeah. and uh, and sort of earn money while they're at school, also from athletics. So I hope whoever's listening to this podcast thinks about that. Maybe some of these venture capital guys can think about you know forming <laughs> forming an association that yeah. could be you know parallel to the to the NCAA for you know some of these sports that right. you know that's you know quote unquote discarding if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So let's let's hope let's hope there's some innovation here. No, no doubt. But yeah, but COVID is COVID unfortunately whether it's you know directly or indirectly, you know, by by way of being used as an excuse, you know, will be a sports killer also unfortunately. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Okay, Vlad, we've got our our third story for the day and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Lionel Messi from Barcelona. And he's still looking to move on, folks. <laughs> 
So let's set this stage. This is a crazy story. That's <laughs> uh, crazy. And, and, it, and it evolves each day, maybe even uh, midday. There's another update here. But uh, let's, let's just let's set the stage with a, just a super brief look at his CV. It, it's, it's, really, it's really kind of an eye-opener. Messi's in his 20th year with Barcelona. Moved there as a 13-year-old, you know, joined the academy. 700 goals for club and country. Six Ballon d'Or trophies, which is, for those that aren't big up on, uh, aren't yeah. on, up on football, that's uh, the player of the year across the globe um, at, the, at the club level. He's got 10 La Liga titles, four Champions Leagues, Third on the Forbes 2020 highest paid list at 72 million in salary. Yeah, <laughs> with Adidas since 2006. This guy's a money machine, right? He's incredible. But he's had his first trophy-free season in 12 years. Just let that one sink in. No trophies in 12 years. One that says, I mean, the last 12 years have just been absolutely incredible. But two, it's just getting a little bit. Just his first taste of it not going so well, and he's. He's, he's looking to, to potentially move on. But he's under his sixth manager since 2012 when Pep Guardiola left Barcelona and went over to Manchester City. Yep, Hold yep. that thought about Manchester City here for a minute. And then just last week or two weeks back, had an embarrassing exit from the Champions League where they lost 8-2 to two to Bayern. Scores you just don't see wow. at that yeah. level. Especially with Messi on the, on the yeah. team, right? So you, you just don't see that, right? Um, so, so he notified the club of his intent to leave after that loss. You know, there, there's, there's an opt-out clause at the end of the 2020 season, and, and he notified them. Uh, but the contract says, here, here's where, this is the business side to this thing, the contract says the opt-out was June of 2020. Okay, which is would be traditionally when the league is wrapped up, Champions League's over, yeah, and the players uh, go on summer vacation or they join international soccer at, at their at country. But Messi's legal team says, well, actually, there was a spirit of that clause um, was that it was the end of season, which because of COVID, the, the season ended just two weeks back. But here's the pinch in play is if he opts out. There's no buyout clause. He moves on with one year left on the contract. But if the opt-out is not held up, there's an $800 million <laughs> buyout in play. Yes, folks, $800 million. So, yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm almost speechless at this point because the money is, is, is just absurd. Um, recently, a recent buyout from Barcelona was uh, the, the, the record for buyouts was, was Neymar in 2017 when he went over to uh, to PSG for $265 million. Yeah, which which at that time was the highest buyout number, correct? That's right. The highest the highest by a lot. Um, so this just astronomical numbers for these individual Oof. athletes is just incredible. Uh, so let's 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 yeah. put this business yeah. lens on this guy again. So what do we what do we got in play here? So so you've got the contract uh, you've got this contract, which has these opt-outs and these buyouts. And La Liga, which is the league he plays in, they've weighed in and they've said, we're going to hold up the written terms of the contract, yeah. which says June of 2020 yeah. was when Messi should have notified us that he wanted to move on. But there's a pinch there. He was still playing, and that would have created its own firestorm, right? Okay, so he did not. He notified him last week, and, and there's a point of contention. The top suitor, Manchester City, managed by the previous mentioned Pep Guardiola, they're the leading candidate to land him. But they're coming off of UEFA's financial fair play rulings. They've got a lot of eyes on them and the money that they're spending. So they've got to really be thoughtful if they're going to offer up a deal as to where they find their funds to, to make that deal work. And then the management. The management behind Barcelona of late has just been 
all over the place. They've had six board members that have left their board in the last year. They're on, I want to say, their second or third coach just in a year and a half. It's a dysfunctional space. And, and their roster management, too, here, Vlad, their roster management is they, again, this, this no-trophy no season, they've had a f- surplus of $400 million in the transfer market in the last five years, but yet no trophies, roster's a mess, looking to move guys on, and, and Messi may be one of them. God, where do you even start with this one? You know, I mean, the the <laughs> the the you know backdrop of this that you just laid laid out, Mike, is like so complex. There's so many like you know different variables. There's so many. I mean, you know, I was I was thinking about this last night. I was like, how do we frame this? And you know, one of the things that that kind of popped, you know, Mike, you 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 and I both have you know sons who are you know 10, 11, right? They watch Pokemon. This looks like a, po- this sounds like a Pokemon story. I'm not joking. It's like the <laughs> numbers are like so fantastical. It's like, there's like all of these things whizzing by and twirling and all of these, you know, different things are kind of driving forces. You're kind of like, what is, what is going on here? Like, I don't even understand. Like, you know, then this coach is now we're here and now they, like, and it's $800 million to spend on one player. You know, I, I, from kind of a former kind of athlete point of view, I, you know, I gotta say, like, you know, in in any team sport, I, I have I have never seen you know one player make an impact on a team th- that's this big. Now, call me crazy, but you know, even Michael Jordan needed his Scottie Pippen, right? Um, you know, Carmelo needed his you know John Stockton. I mean, like like. You know, there's, there's, there's always, you know, this is never kind of a singularity kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm just like, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, if they have 800 million bucks to spend, like, you can start a n- new club. <laughs> you can, you can, you can actually almost start a new league right. with that, with that kind of money, right? He's, he's, he's not well, getting any. I mean, younger. you know, his knees are going to start giving up pretty soon. He's not going to be able to be as explosive as he yeah. has been on the on the on the pitch. Like no matter what you think, all of his accolades, all the stuff that he's done are fantastic. They're amazing. But he's getting up there in age. He will not be able to produce these kind of results for yeah. Man City or, yeah. or 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 anywhere else. But but there was a recent story, right? There there, there was a there was an evolving story from yesterday, Mike, about um, how the, the Man City own ownership also owns the owns the club in uh, New York City, correct? So there was going to be some some kind of play in England and in the U.S. The U.S. is a, you know, New York yes, is a big market, right. obviously, big media market. Uh, they were also offering him some ownership, right? Um, that's right. Is, is there anything else there? Well, th- that's just the things they're going to offer him. If, if they go for this buyout, they're going to be offering some number up to $800 million to Barcelona if Barcelona decides to hold the line on that contract. So... This thing has, we've said, there, there's so many moving parts, but but if you distill it down, simplify this, athlete's a little bit upset, very decorated career, reaching maybe a window in his career where he's certainly going to be, he's on the backside. He's probably on that back third for sure yes. of, of productivity. <laughs> and He's in the fourth quarter, yeah. the fourth quarter of his and, career, and, and I you, think. And you're right? reaching this place that we see this play out across, you know, global and U.S. sports where guys got one year left on his contract. What's that team going to do? Do they move him on? Do they kind of recoup something or do they lose him at the end yep. of the contract for nothing? You know, we've got Giannis in the NBA. He's entering this window, too. That The NBA doesn't have this transfer madness that, that they write into these 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 uh, contracts to protect yeah. guys from getting moved on. They've got a different business model. 
um, and, and yeah. not the oil money behind it like we have over in the, the European soccer. But Giannis is in that window right now. He's got one year left. We're watching him finish out a, a you know a COVID delayed season here with the Bucks, and we'll see if he takes a title. And then the next year is going to be the Giannis watch. Yeah, where's where's he potentially going? I I think I think when Messi, I think this is my my perspective a little bit on it is that he wants his cake and he wants to eat it too. I I I don't know. You know, if I was Barcelona uh, and everything was falling apart like you were describing. Why they wouldn't take an $800 million deal, let him go a year early. It certainly lines up incentive-wise, and that gives them a little bit of a surplus to start fresh. Yeah, we'll watch how this plays out. It, it's happening daily and, and, and could kind of conclude um, just really within the next week or two if, uh, is, is my expectation. So Fantastical Pokemon is how I'm going to look at it, Mike, and <laughs> see. Yeah, and, and you just fit Pokemon into a sports and business <laughs> podcast, which is just really, really nice move. I love that. We're we're now legit. We're now legit. You've, you've we're now legit. Game. i got to come up with something like that. Yeah, that's it. Shout out to the younger crowd out there. Okay, let's, uh, let's wrap with our, our last of our top five stories. We're going to talk a little about the LPGA and holding on to out-of-date thinking. So there's a story here, Vlad. Sophia Popoff is being snubbed by the tour after her st- historic yep. win just last week. So let's let's give a little backstory, and then we'll get into the business issues here. So Sophia Popoff, she's a German golfer. She's been in the women's golf minor leagues, notably the, the Cactus Tour. And in 2019, the total purse of the Cactus Tour was $250,000. That's not one person's winnings. That's the total purse of the tour so that's that's toiling in the minor leagues no question she's ranked 304th in the league in in the world but there's there's another side to it she's a four-time all-american at usc she's a national champion um, she's been pro for five or seven years but she struggled with her game wow. she was not feeling great for a couple of years and actually doctors discovered she suffered from lyme disease yeah. and so she's coming out of that diagnosis and figuring out how to navigate with that and uh and then also just this past year, 2019, in Q School, which is the school that you go to to qualify for the tour, to get your tour card, she missed it by one stroke on the final hole. So, so she's, she's, just, she's just got an interesting setup yeah. here, right? But last weekend, she, last weekend, she won the Women's British Open at Royal Troon in Scotland. She won it by three strokes, and she pocketed $675,000. So, like, incredible story, right? From missing that, the Q School to, like, incredible story, being at the right? top of the game, right? That's right. So now, so now you're saying, so, so what, what, what's the story here? Well, well here's the hang-up. Um, she didn't have her tour card when she won. Just two weeks before, she was caddying on the tour for a friend, and she got a check from that because her friend uh, scored pretty high. But she was caddying two wow. weeks prior wow. to this major, joins the major because of some recent performance on her part, and she wins the darn thing. But because she didn't have her tour card, she doesn't get the benefits typically bestowed upon a major winner. Okay? So now we're getting into regs and things. And what that means is a major winner gets a five-year tour exemption for all the majors. They get invited to all of them in the next five years. And they get a two-year exemption as an LPG Tour member. So she's now got her card for the next two years. Okay? That, that's, that's nice benefits. But she's not getting all of them until next year because of some rules that this league is holding on to. And so there's another major that's coming this fall. She doesn't get to play in it. It's in September. And they've told her, sorry, you're not invited. Remember, she got exemptions to all the majors, but but, but the pandemic strikes again here, Vlad. The, the major, the ANA yeah. inspiration major, it's in California. It's going to be played next month. It was originally slated for March 
uh, make that make that April, and and then they they set the field in March. But the league is saying, the league is saying, well, we set the field, no new entrance, nobody else is coming in. We've set the field. Okay, got it. Those are your rules. But I got a question here, folks. She just won a major. Aren't your rules maybe a little bit out of date? Does that does that reflect the kind of flexibility you need right now in all businesses and sports businesses included, Vlad? A hundred percent. And if I understand this correctly, Mike, I mean there are gonna be some players from Asia who are not coming to this tournament, right? So it's not like there there isn't space potentially to, you know, squeeze her in, right? I mean, I feel like they're kind of just pushing people based on based on rules. So Mike, let's let's also let's also highlight one more incredible thing, okay? The head of the LPGA is a dude, okay? Now, that was sort of he actually posted a video on Twitter and we're going to play a little um soundbite here for you. So what happened in this year's AIG Women's Open is going to happen. They're going to win their way into the 2021 ANA inspiration. You don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with me on that. But that way, um, from the very beginning, we knew that a winner there was going to qualify for the 2021 uh, ANA. And the people that would represent the AIG Women's Championship this year at ANA were coming from the 2019 results. Again, it's okay if you disagree with me. It's okay if you don't like it. But when we set that field. We set that field. We don't go back and change that field later. What's amazing to me is that, okay, let, let's, let's sort of go beyond this fact that the are there no women to run the LPGA? The way that he explained kind of like why they are doing what they're doing, I mean, I, I, I have to say this is like one of the most forceful way, <laughs> force, forceful examples of, you know, mansplaining things, right? I mean, he basically tells us, you know, during this video, uh, hey, I know you're not going to agree with 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 me, mm-hmm. but it is what it is, and I'm going to look at it when I feel like looking at it, and I'm going to you know change the rules when I feel like changing rules, right? It, you know, it, it begs the question, like like really, like are, are you, uh, you know the, the, you know just because it's a rule, it doesn't mean like you said, doesn't mean it's a, it's a good rule, right? And and I think here's here's a sport that has an opportunity to celebrate somebody that's really come from almost nothing. It's coming to you know winning this you know major tournament ride that wave right versus telling us these are the rules and 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 she doesn't get to play on or didn't need to play in the recent tournament because she didn't have a tour card like that's such a nuanced thing it's like folks let's let's revisit that but the other things here is that let, let's business lens this guy and and he's he's got to balance m- multiple stakeholders and and it feels like to me maybe he's applying his 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 media networks hat where he plays kind of the hard tough guy with the media networks and he's turning it over to how he manages his constituents. And, um, you know, he's, he's give him kudos. He, he's put out his point of view. He's leading from the front. So in this leadership story, put him out there for that. But I think his, uh, his angle is a little tone deaf. I think his angle um, could be a, a little bit more player friendly and also just talk about the possibilities of how we can do this in the future, not just... Hey, if you don't like it, tough. Yeah, and 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 Mike, I'll I'll push back a little bit on on you know the comment that you just made about you know he's he's leading from the front. I mean, just just because you're making a statement and saying this is what we're doing because I I want to do it, I don't necessarily want to give him the benefit of of you know leading if it's you know leading the you know into a wrong okay. direction. To be honest with you, okay, um, and and not and not to say you know look I'm uh, you know. Uh, like I get it, they they have rules and they have to follow the rules. I mean, I, I I get all that, right? But but this whole nonsense about you know she wasn't a card carrying member of whatever, 
Mike, I grew up in communism. This sounds right. a little bit like, well, you cannot get this job because you were not a member of the party. You know, you have to join the party first and kind of, you know, swear your allegiance to the party and then we'll <laughs> let you have this job. And this is li literally what happened to people, right? And it, and it sounds quite honestly a little bit like that. And wow. and this this tone that that you're saying is like, you know, you you kind of wonder like did this does the LPGA not have a PR firm? Um, I, I I actually think in in some of his comments, like he's he's making some interesting uh, points. I think, you know, he basically said, look, we've 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 done this with other players in in the past. You know, we, you know, I have to be fair to other winners who had to you know work their way towards this you know second you know next major. Like if they highlighted that, if he actually sat down with a PR firm and outline kind of a strategy of how yeah. they're going to communicate this, I would say they're doing something right. Okay, I kind of get it. But the way he comes across and just sort of like self-guided kind of feedback and, you know, directive at everybody basically saying, hey, if you don't like it, tough S, I am, um, I'm the boss of this organization and uh, this, is how it's, this is how it's going to be. It is just so outdated and uh, totally misses the point. Totally misses the point. Yeah, and and just to kind of put my final part on it, uh, get, with this being a leadership story and this is his public persona, I cringe at the behind the doors persona that um, that great he's point operating with his leadership team because he's got what a ten twelve person leadership team that he is the front yeah. man for, and uh, I I think they've got to I think they have an opportunity to do this better. Love to see how they come up with maybe some new rules and regs that are a little more player-friendly and inclusive. But but I, I got kind of my final note on this, too, is I'm going to predict there's a happy ending for Miss Popoff because there's this thing with, with, with tour events called the sponsor's exemption. And, and for, for those that don't know, sponsor's exemptions can be bestowed upon some player yeah, that's yeah. notable that, that they want to bring in from a PR perspective. The sponsor says we want to have this person in or... Sometimes it's even given executives of those sponsors, and they maybe they, they have a maybe they have a really low handicap, and they get to play. Well, there's six spots for this coming coming tournament here uh, later this month, and and I'd argue, uh, Vlad, I think there should be five spots because one should be taken, and and I think she should get a at a minimum a sponsor's exemption and play on. All right, so all right, we'll watch. we'll we'll watch and provide an update. Let's do it. Okay, so we've got um we've got our final session of this uh, this episode. It is. The come on section. Come on, man section. I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm really looking forward to this one, Vlad. So um, got a question for you, Vlad. Here's my question. Who is the most valuable player in the NBA to his team? So, I mean, from from a you know, player player's perspective, I would say, you know, it's the one that really, like, you know, glues the team together, right? Not necessarily the highest scorer. Most valuable player in the NBA to his team. Who do you got? Okay. Give me a name. Give me a name. Give me a guy. Oh, I mean, I would say, you know, for the Dallas Mavericks, it's probably going to be Luka Doncic, right? Uh, you know, somebody like that, right? Not necessarily okay. the highest okay. scorer, but certainly one that okay. kind of gets them all going, right? Um, is is that yeah. is that the right answer? Well, no, no, no. Va valuable right here is subjective now, isn't it? So, so some it is. LeBron. That's right. That's right. You right. Can say, you can say Giannis. You can say James Harden. You can say all these different guys. Right. My, right, my guy here, Lou Dort. Lou Dort, most valuable player in the NBA to his team, and here's why, Vlad. Here's why, this man is guarding James Harden in this series with the Rockets and the OKC. Right, he's guarding him, 
And this man's salary for this year is $156,000. Come on, man. For for the year. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let's, we're talking value. Uh, we're talking yeah. value. James Harden, James Harden makes $38 million a year. Wow. This man makes $156,000 for the year. Let's run the math for all you math majors. James Harden makes almost $160,000 by the middle of the second quarter of one game. Wow. Lou Dort has been guarding him, holding up nicely in this series. Here's a funny twist. Lou Dort went to Arizona State because he likes James Harden's game. Okay. He's guarding, and, and, and earlier this year, James Harden went one for 17 in a game against Lou Dort. Wow. For three. One for 17 wow. for three. So I would say to you, the most valuable player in the NBA to his team is one Lou Dort. Oof. That's what I got. That's wow. This takes me back to my kind of sports analytics and, um, you know, how to really assign value to, you know, players, you know, Michael Jordan actually in his, in, in his documentary, right. That, that just came out, talked about this. He goes, this is, this is an industry where you pay somebody on their potential, not on their actual performance. And it's Mm. very different than a lot of other industries where you're actually paid on how you perform, right? Contri- contributing at that time, right? In sports, in sports, you're sort of paying somebody, you, you, like, you know, Harden, you're going to give him, you know, 38 million bucks or whatever a year, expecting that he's going to deliver something to you. Yeah. I, I, you know, you know I, I mean, it is what it is. I totally get that. But I, but I almost wonder if there's a way for, for these teams to, like, you know, allocate a pool or a kitty for every, every game, right? And yeah, yeah, and some yeah. of these, you know, metric, uh, you know, are you know used to actually award people higher compensation. I think it could be Ooh. a way to, you know, think okay, think about how to do that. But that is incredible. That's a good come on, man. How about that? Hundred, hundred twenty, hundred thirty grand. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my man. Great show. Excellent. Good connecting again. A lot of great stories and a lot more to follow. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Until next time. Thanks a lot.